Hi, welcome to The Church Split, and today we have another special guest with us. As you know, The Church Split tends to be very uh, united, at least that's the, that's the goal. A good friend of mine, Ian Renwick, he is a friend that is a pastor down in Virginia. We made, we connected through a mutual pastor friend of ours here. Uh, he, We actually are very like-minded in many ways, uh, equally sassy, uh, both like to debate, and we all ha we have very similar interests in many ways. So I have a lot of respect for Ian, really excited about having him on. And and today I wanted to talk about a particular type of theology, and we're going to have some other people on here hopefully to represent other ones uh, just to do this themselves. So people who, uh, what I'm trying to do is in this Unity Through Diversity series is I want you guys to see the fact that we can be united as Christians while having various different theological standings uh, or understandings of the Bible even as long as we hold to the fundamentals of the faith. So Ian here is going to present dispensationalism, and he's going to walk you through what, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a dispensationalist? Maybe you've heard it as a good thing. Maybe you've heard of it as a bad thing. And so I would just like to give him the floor here, and I just want you guys to know the reason why we do this, the reason why we have these extra segments on like this is the church split though me and brian host this thing we want it to be a community effort that shows the fact that we can unite a divided body and we also wanted to you to know that we care about your theological education we want you to have the best understanding of these things as possible so we give you these people who subscribe to these beliefs to let them teach through these beliefs. So that way you're not getting someone's opinion on what they believe. You're actually hearing what these people subscribe to themselves who are learned in it, who have, who have taught it, and still teach it today. So anyway, guys, give all your attention to Ian Renwick and do not forget to like and subscribe to this to our channel because if you haven't what are you doing get out there like 88% of you who watch this don't subscribe i know who you are and i will find you i'm just kidding i won't do that but i would definitely appreciate it so anyway take it away ian appreciate you coming on hello there and welcome to the church split my name is ian renwick and i'm a pastor in stephen city virginia at a church called valley bible and i happen to know will from uh from my time in michigan and uh, we've gotten connected together in a lot of different ways and i've become a big fan of the church split and when he asked me to do a couple of episodes uh for him uh, on a series uh near and dear to my heart i said Absolutely. He asked me which two I wanted to do or which one of the two ideas I wanted to do. And I'll probably do the other one at some point. Uh, but the one that I ended up going with is dispensational theology. Uh, the other option was middle salvation, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, but I'll save that for another time or for someone else. And uh, But this, this, this video series is going to be a fun one to do because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what dispensationalism is, how it functions, why it's useful, uh, why I be a dispensationalist? I mean, these are the kinds of questions that I'm going to be endeavoring to answer. This first video, I'm going to be talking about uh, the term dispensationalism, uh, the theological framework of how it works within scripture, how it's used as a tool to sort of uh, interpret, divide, and, and, and um, uh, exegetically, appropriately handle the word. Uh, and then I will be going into the first three of seven dispensations. 
Um, the next series will be, the next video will probably be the next two uh, because they're pretty lengthy. And then um, the, the last one will probably be the last three, uh, if not the last four, because I am a seven plus one. And I'll go into what that means after uh, we get through this initial introductory part. Um, and then the fourth video in this series will be a question and answer time with Will uh, going over, we'll look at the video comments and, and Facebook comments and pull the best questions to kind of answer uh, in a kind of a, a moderated discussion. If you were going over those, uh, going over anything that was unclear or anything you guys would like more uh, clarification on. So without much further ado, let's get into the subject uh, material here. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the term, and uh, it's uh, a word that we hear thrown around not quite as often as maybe it should be in our vernacular. Uh, the one way that it is tossed around quite a bit is that we often hear of a, a special uh, dispensation, and that's usually associated with uh, getting permission from a governing body to do something that's outside of the norm, something that would be seen as an exception to the normal rule of order. So let's say you want to have a party in your dorm, uh, if you're you know, using college as an analogy, but the, uh, the school doesn't allow you to host a co-ed party in the girls' dorm, so the sorority or whoever's throwing it on, you know, whatever, ends up getting a special dispensation, a special permission uh, from the dean to modify the rules just for this one occasion under these specific circumstances. That's typically what we think of when in our modern English we hear the word uh, dispensation. But that's not the way the Bible uses the word, nor is that the way the word was originally intended. In fact, that particular version of dispensation uh, is not in keeping with the actual way that the word is used uh, in, um, in the Bible and even in antiquity. Uh, and to, to do that, I'm a bit of a wordsmith, and I love going into especially the Greek uh, language. And where we find this word typically in Greek, we find it as the word oikonomia. Uh, oikonomia is a compound word in Greek. It basically takes the rule for house oikos, and nomia, which is law, smashes it together. So you get the term house law or house rules. And that's used in the New Testament. In Ephesians 2, we see Paul talking about how he's been made a steward uh, or a dispenser uh, of the new, um, of the mystery, right, of this new revelation. He's been uh, brought into this oikonomia, this new thing that God is doing, which for Paul in that time was the church, the body of Christ. And so, uh, the way this was applied in the ancient Roman world, when you had house laws, um, is a, in a typical upper class household where you had sort of a, a higher up citizen, you know, uh, call them a lord. Uh, they would have a, a major domo who was basically in charge of the staff, uh, the household staff, and the lord would basically set out the rules for how he wanted his house run, what time he wanted breakfast, what time he wanted lunch, what time he wanted dinner, 
what kinds of food he wanted to prepare, what kinds of wine he wanted to prepare, what kind of clothes he wanted people to wear, uh, what kind of you know, behavior and decorum and, and, and all of that kind of thing, okay? And it was a long list. And what would happen is the Lord would give this list to the major domo, and the major domo was then, or calling him a major domo, it wasn't necessarily his title then, but this major domo would go through and dispense this new uh, oikonomia, this new house law. And if that word sounds a little familiar in English, oikonomia, it's because that is where we get our word economy. It's literally the rules by which our financial institutions are run, right? Uh, economy. Um, when we talk about uh, an economy of trust or a, an economy of goodwill, those are things that are themselves house rules that are governed by certain things. This is no exception. In fact, when a rule was changed in an ancient Roman household, uh, often the Lord would sign off a new rule, and it would be the major domo's job to go and make sure that this new house rule was dispensed to the staff. Because ultimately, if somebody didn't know about it, it was the fault of the major domo uh, and the fault of the servant uh, because nobody can claim ignorance. The, the major domo didn't do his job, and because the servant didn't know about the rule change, the servant couldn't do their job. They'd both get fired. Okay? That's kind of the way that works. So dispensation, oikonomia, house rules, or an economy for how relationships are to be conducted. Okay, theologically, this term is used to denote a, uh, a systematic theology uh, that divides up scripture based on the various ways through uh, which God reacts with mankind over the course of history. Now, that's a loaded statement. All right, so dispensationalism helps us bracket systematically scripture, uh, helps us divide it up in a way that makes sense and way that um, is, I believe, true to what what. Uh, God's plan has been over the course of history, uh, and it denotes specifically how God interacts at, in, at various times in various ways uh, over the course of human history. And we can see uh, very clearly at times when God sets the rules and then when God changes the rules. And that's, uh, that's the, throughout the course of the Bible. As we go through the study, you'll see how God sets the rules, man fails in keeping the rules, and then God makes uh, passes judgment and makes new rules. And we'll get to that in a second. But uh, it's, it's just basically a way of dividing the Bible up in manageable sections where we can look at how God dealt with humanity at a specific point in time. Uh, the, uh, it's, it's a recognition of the progressive revelation of God's plan for human beings. Okay, So God didn't reveal the whole part. He revealed it in pieces through these dispensations. Um, these house laws or house rules govern how we relate to God and how God relates to us. Uh, and these rules uh, were changed over the course of history, not due to God's inability to keep his end of the bargain, but due to man's own uh, failure. Okay, How many dispensations? That's a question I get asked a lot. How many dispensations are there? And it really depends on which dispensational tradition you're from. Uh, there can be as few as two to as many as eight. Uh, so, uh, for example, there the three-step or the three-part uh, dispensationalism that looks a lot like Calvinism uh, is law, grace, and kingdom. So that's three steps, and that's typically associated with Calvinism, which is a little weird, but, you know, 
There, that, that's how they're going. Uh, a fourth step might look like this. Patriarchal, Mosaic, Ecclesial, and Zionic. Okay, so Zionic being the kingdom, again. So patriarchal being everything from Adam through the law, uh, or excuse me, through Abraham, right? Uh, Moses being, uh, or, from, or excuse me, patriarchal being Adam through the giving of the law. Uh, Mosaic being the law through the establishment of the church. Ecclesial being what we're in now, right? And then Zionic, which is what will come. Um, I am, a, and then there's either a seven or an eight, Um and the reason I like seven plus one, okay, instead of eight, and I'll get into that in a second, is going to be evident here in a second. All right, um, the seven dispensations or eight, depending on which class, or which way you're going to swing on that, um, are innocence, conscience, human government, promise, law, grace, millennial kingdom, and then eternity. All right, now eternity, I already know, spoiler alert if you don't know the end of the story, man is not going to fail to keep up his end of the bargain, okay? And each of these, uh, in innocence and conscience, human government, promise, law, grace, millennial kingdom, there's going to be some sort of failure on behalf of mankind that is going to cause God to shift his plan, okay? Or reveal a new piece of his plan, Um Eternity, or the, you know, future to come, right, is not going to have an end date. It's eternity. So that's why I say I'm seven plus one. So I think the seven, we'll see how man uh, man has failed, right? Um, but in eternity, that, that won't fail. Okay, so seven plus this special one out here, seven plus one. That's what I am. Uh, dispensations all have a, a cycle. Now, if you've ever studied Judges, you know Judges has kind of this similar cycle to it. Uh, it's very similar to the Judges cycle, right? Uh, so the Judges cycle, for those of you who've never studied that book, uh, is is like this. The people cry out for a judge. Okay, excuse me. The people are oppressed, right? The people cry out for a judge. The judge delivers them. The judge rules for a time. Uh, in which Israel has peace, the judge dies, Israel backslides, Israel is oppressed, Israel cries out for a judge, right? That's kind of the cycle of judges as you see it. Dispensations have a similar cycle. And uh, here's what I mean by that. Uh, God issues a commandment or commandments, okay? Man fails, man agrees to, but fails at keeping the commandments, uh, this leads to a judgment on, uh, on, by, on man by God, and then it leads to a new dispensation, and then wash, rinse, repeat. So we have commandment issued, accept, uh, command accepted and failed, uh, the judgment, and then the issuing of a new dispensation. So there are four pieces there. What I want to say about that is this. It's important to, uh, to note that it is never God who fails to follow through on his end of the dispensational obligations. The only reason that God has to shift gears is because man continues to fail in doing his part. All right. The last point I want to bring uh, out in this is just because there is a shift in dispensations does not mean elements of previous dispensations disappear altogether. In fact, elements from all of these dispensations that we're going to study, uh, because of progressive revelation, uh, are either folded into and incorporated into the next dispensation 
or they're reskinned to fit the new dispensation. Okay, so those are some key elements that I want you to be aware of. Now, going back real quick to the 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 different types. So there's there's three step, four step, or seven or eight step. I mentioned there's two step, and here's the dirty little secret, right? Even covenant theology, those who covenant theologians, Baptists, you know, people like that, they're dispensationalists. They don't call themselves that; they call themselves covenant theology, but it's really two dispensations. Okay, it's the dirty little secret. Sorry to ruin anybody's day. But here's the key thing that I want you to take away. If there was any, if there's one phrase that I want you to walk away with from this particular uh, session that I have with you, is that dispensationalism recognizes the differences. Okay, dispensationalism recognizes the differences, and that's really what this is about. We recognize as dispensationalists that God has worked uh, through each of these different things that we're going to talk about. And uh, that they're different. There are things that are different in every single dispensation. And God works to redeem man or to, to reveal his plan to redeem man through each one of these uh, dispensations. So, again, this is your one takeaway. Write it down, start, what, uh, what have you. Dispensationalism recognizes the differences. If you have your Bible handy... Turn to Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible handy, either open up a Bible app on your computer, go grab a Bible right now, uh, pause the video first because I'm going to start talking after this, but go get yourself a Bible if you don't have one. If you have one in front of you, open it up to Genesis chapter 1. I know for me, uh, I have a leather Bible and it doesn't like to stay open to Genesis chapter 1, so I've got my computer sitting on top of the edge of the page to keep it open so that way I can talk about this. The first three dispensations, uh, in case you can't remember back that far, are innocence, conscience, and human government. Innocence, conscience, and human government. Now remember, I told you back in the introduction part of this video that there's usually a major domo who's responsible for dispensing the, law, the new house rules to the people in his care, right? So... I'm going to call those, for the, the sake of ease and consistency, the principal actors in each dispensation. We're going to go over the commandment given in each dispensation, how man failed to keep that commandment. Uh, we're going to look at the judgment that God rendered for that failure, and we're going to look at how this particular dispensation points to the coming Christ. All right? So, in innocence, innocence covers... Uh, chapters 1 to 3, verse 5. Those of you who have been around Christianity for a long time know that this particular uh, narrative section of the Bible talks about uh, how God created the world, how God created everything that lives in the world, not just the world, but the cosmos, okay? Um, how God created everything that is and will ever be, right? That ever was, and it details his creation of a unique being called man, us. And in this, he gives man a couple of different commands. So your principal actors for this are Adam and Eve. They're the first two human beings on the planet. Uh, they are the first uh, mated pair that we have. You know, they, they set the tone for what the rest of humanity should be like uh, from when they start to now. Okay? Okay. 
Um, albeit they had a little detour, and that's where we are now. If they hadn't had the detour, life would be much different, but they did. So the principal actors are Adam and Eve. And the commandment that Adam and Eve are given uh, can be found in 1 Genesis 28, uh, or excuse me, 1 Gen Genesis, Genesis 1. I'm not trying to add another book of Genesis. Genesis 1, uh, and in verse 28 and 30. So if you turn there with me, this is what it says. It says, And God blessed them, being Adam and Eve, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay. The first part of the commandment that Adam and Eve are given are to be fruitful and multiply. They are called to have dominion over the earth. Okay, those are your two. Those are your two pieces of, or those are two, two of the three pieces that they were given. All right, be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion over the earth. Right. Then they're given in chapter two. We find that God gives them yet another instruction, and this is chapter two, uh, verses fifteen and seventeen. There are fifteen through seventeen. Uh, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, surely, or you shall surely die. Right. So, three commandments in this dispensation. Three main commandments. Be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion over the earth. And don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Those are your three commandments. Now, we know that uh, there was some big failure coming, right? Uh, Adam and Eve, as far as we know, didn't have any children, and it wouldn't make sense with Scripture, in the Garden of Eden. They didn't have any children until after they left. So, that's how they broke part one. Part two, they didn't really the earth. They didn't really have dominion over the earth. Sure, they went in the garden, but they stayed in the garden. This is going to be a common theme for humanity. And so they broke it there. But what really kicks it off is that Adam and Eve broke that third commandment, right? They went and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we find that in chapter 3, which in my Bible, uh, the ESV, which is really the only Bible you should ever use. I'm just kidding. Um, it talks about the fall, right? And so in Genesis chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, you see, For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when woman saw that the tree was good for the food, uh, for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, the and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And thus sin entered the world, right? That's the failure. Okay, so we have commandments given, principal actors, Adam and Eve, commandments given, be fruitful and multiply, uh, have dominion over the earth, and don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All three shattered and broken, right? And now uh, there's judgment. And so God judges Adam and Eve. And we find those judgment instituted later in the chapter. Uh, the, the snake is judged for his deceit, right? Uh, Eve is judged for her part in it. Um, childbearing pain will increase. Your husband shall rule over you and, and all of that stuff. So establishing a new social order, 
right? Uh, these are the rules for the new dispensation. Increased childbearing pain. Uh, your, your child's desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Um, for Adam, because you listen to your wife and have eaten of the tree, uh, the ground is cursed. You're going to have to work the ground. So this is Adam's part of the new dispensation. Um, thorns and thistles that shall bring forth from you by the sweat of your brow and you shall return. This is, this is the new judgment, right? And now we see that man is given the ability to act according to his own conscience, right? Um, because he knows the knowledge of good and evil, because Adam and Eve know what is good and what is evil, they now have the ability to engage their conscience to do good or to do evil. And so this is ushers in the new dispensation. So because of this change in house rules, they're now denied the tree of life, they're banished from the Garden of Eden, and entropy and death for the first time are introduced into the cosmos. Okay, Before this point, there was no death, there was no decay, there was no entropy, there was nothing like that. It was simply life um, as it will be uh, in the coming age, right in the in, in eternity, as how life was supposed to be. But Adam and Eve sinned, so this is probably the biggest failure in human history. Is right here. We all like to think we probably would have done different. I don't know that that's entirely true at all. I don't think that's true at all. I think we all have the same uh, need to know, right? And that's ultimately what brought Adam and Eve down was the need to know, and. Um, so they they fell, but how does this so how does this point to Christ right? Well, here is what theologians call the proto evangelium, okay, proto evangelium, or the first giving uh, of the promise of Messiah, okay. So in verse uh, chapter three, uh, verse fifteen, I will put enmity between you, being the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Right? So this is the Proto-Evangelium. This is even now, even though this sin is very fresh, though it's you know literally just happened a few verses ago. And now I don't know how much time actually passed, but it was just a few verses ago for us. There's this promise of a Messiah, somebody who will make things better. Um, and that's pointing, obviously we know, back to Christ. Okay. So now we're moving on to the second. So that was innocence, Right? Conscience. Now we're moving on to conscience. Okay, and again, dispensationalism, what? Recognizes the differences. So what are the differences between what Adam and Eve experienced and what Adam and Eve experienced afterwards? And in fact, Adam and Eve are still principal actors in the second dispensation, as is Noah. So these first couple of dispensations are all rapid fire. They all happen in Genesis. And then there's a lot of space in between the next ones. So in the, in the dispensation of conscience, we have principal actors. Adam and Noah, their principal commandments are do good and blood sacrifice for sin, right? We see that in the, um, the, the way that God made clothes, all right, for Adam and Eve to cover their sin. Um, they know the difference between good and evil. They know what God expects. They, God expects them to do good, okay? But there's a failure, right? Uh, Romans 1, uh, you don't have to turn there now, but talks about the spiral of degradation that happened after the fall, what led eventually to the flood, right? Read Romans chapter one, talks about all the spiral of degradation, all the things that they did. They didn't do good. They didn't do sacrifices to atone for sin. They did none of that. In fact, they turned 
on what they knew they were supposed to do. So Adam was long dead and gone by this point. Noah was alive, right? And um, God, basically around the time of Noah, had been fed up with what man was doing. He was, and Romans, tell, Romans 1 tells us, he was inventing new ways of sinning and improved of those who did the same, right? I mean, it was just like, I mean, it sounds a lot like today. Probably wasn't, but it sounds a lot like today. But here's, here's um, or it was different in another way, but here's the deal, right? So it sounded like Joe Biden just now. Sorry, don't mean to bring politics into this. But here's, here's what happens, right? There's this failure, right? Man did what was right in his own eyes. That's the failure, right? Because what he did in his own eyes was evil. Now, this whole dispensation of conscience goes from Genesis 3, verse 6 to Genesis 7.33. And you can kind of see, again, the principal actors, where they failed, and um, you know, eventually what the solution was, right? So because they didn't do good, because they did evil, man also did violence on one another, right? Now we have murder, right? We have Cain, the first murderer. This becomes a trend uh, in humanity, uh, men doing violence to one another, right? And again, read Romans 1, big spiral of degradation. From the time man begins to populate the earth to the time that uh, the flood happens, right? So the big judgment at the end of conscience is God judges man with a global flood. But he always provides a way out, right? He always provides a way to go start over. So, you know, the the, the each, each one of these is getting progressively more complicated, right? So the, the, the first one was just these three basic rules. Don't do this, don't do that, or do this, do this, don't do that. Right now it's do good. Well, now we're really ambiguous. Blood sacrifice for sin. Be righteous, right? I mean that's that's pretty much it. Um, man didn't do it, right? Because I mean that's really really complicated. Uh, so God judges man with a worldwide flood, wipes out and annihilates mankind, but He saves one family, with whom He institutes a new set of rules. Now covenant theology would say that the first uh, instance was uh, innocence was the Adamic covenant. You have uh, between the Adamic covenant, uh, there's just this nebulous space between the Adamic covenant and the Noahic covenant, okay? Um, and then, you know, you have the Noahic covenant until you have the Abrahamic covenant. Well, it ignores all these little changes that happen in between, and conscience is one of them, okay? So why did God have to make a new covenant? Um, there's, because there, there's, there's these changes. Sometimes, I want to say sometimes, dispensations coincide with covenants, but it's not all the time. There was really no covenant with Adam. It didn't say Adam or God made a covenant with Adam. And you can't, you know, by argument of silence, say that that's a covenant. He made a covenant with Noah, uh, but he didn't make a covenant with Noah's descendants based on, um, you know, behavior and that kind of thing. So by the time we get to the Tower of Babel and the next one, there's, there, I mean, the Noahic Covenant still stands. God's not going to destroy the world with a flood, but there's nothing that's given guidance, okay? So, conscience. Um, do good, blood sacrifice for sin, be righteous. Man didn't do it. God judges the world with flood. He saves that one family. All right, so what is... Um, the thing that points to Christ, right? It points to Christ in that um, man will do good, finally, right? When Christ comes, 
the the commandments that were given in conscience, do good. Uh, the blood sacrifice for sin has already been taken care of. It hadn't been taken care of at that point, but the blood sacrifice for sin of Christ has already taken place for us. And therefore, there's, there's that part of it. We are now enabled to be righteous because of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. Right? That's taken care of. Now we are able to do good, but in the in the you know in the, the final dispensation to come, the eternal one, right, will be continuously doing good all the time. And so this is pointing again toward Christ, right? Toward Christ. Even the fact that he saved Noah and one family, he provided salvation. God always provides salvation, right? And so this is this is another uh, way that we. Uh, talk about the dispensation of conscience. Finally, uh, in the th number three, we have human government. And this runs from Genesis 8.20. Okay? Between chapter 7.33 and 8.20, there's a long list of genealogies. Okay? That's really doesn't... I mean, that just tells us what happened. That's not... Or how... Who had... Who had whom? It doesn't really tell us anything new about a dispensation. But now we have human government. Right, God establishes human government. Now, again, there are things that persist right through these dispensations. In conscience, man was still to have dominion over the earth. He was still to be fruitful and multiply, even though that was the previous dispensation. Right, in conscience, that's what man is supposed to do. In human government, that is what man is still supposed to do. You see, when Noah steps off the ark, God says, "All right, be fruitful and multiply." Fill the earth, have dominion over the earth. Oh, and by the way, you can eat meat. Okay, up until this point, up until everybody got off the ark, they'd been vegetarians, right? They couldn't eat, you didn't eat meat. But up until this, so up until this point, right? God makes his very specific dietary change. You can now eat meat. All right, that's not really part. I mean, that's part of the dispensation, but it wasn't a commandment. Okay, don't don't take that away from it. Just kind of an interesting side note. So be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, have dominion over the earth. Okay, so again, it's very similar. Uh, do good, be righteous, right? I mean, so it's building one upon another, right? So these these are all folding into one another, and rule yourself. Okay, so you know, human government, right? And we still see human government ordained and practiced today, but there was a failure. And that failure happens at the Tower of Babel, right? Men all congregated in one place, and in one place they dwelt. And they built a tower, and there was all kinds of stuff that happened. Uh, and man did not fill the earth, right? They congregated one. They didn't have dominion over the earth. They didn't do anything like that. And so what happened, right? God passed judgment upon them. And he passed judgment upon them by coming down, confusing their languages, and scattering them over the face of the earth. He scattered them over the face of the earth to make man fill the earth and have dominion over it. And he scattered the languages, or he confused the languages, to force them to stay apart, right? Because God told them, go fill the earth. Like, this, this hasn't changed. Nothing has changed in that regard. You guys aren't doing what I've asked you to do. Like, all this time since Adam, you guys haven't been doing what I've asked you to do. All right, now I'm going to force you to do it by scattering you into tribal groups based on language. And you guys are going to go out and fill the earth, right? And Or the post-flood earth now. Um, and that's the judgment, Right? Like I said, these all are kind of rapid fire right in a row. 
So we've got an instance, we've done human government, or excuse me, we've done instance, conscience, now human government. And there are still elements of human government that come through. You see, they set up leaders over themselves. Uh, it wasn't every family doing, uh, so by the time human government gets around, not everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes, right? There was a, a, an authority that was placed, invested in leaders to help accomplish good on behalf of those whom they ruled, right? That's why we have the ability of humankind to have their collective creative energies channeled into this project to build a city and to build a tower, right? Because of rulership. So now it was no longer every man doing uh, what was right in his own eyes. It was either you do what's right in the eyes of the governing authorities or we're going to have problems. And that helped channel man's creativity into doing these different things. Well, while that was all well and good, again, they didn't use the authority to fill the earth and to subdue it. And so God levies that punishment. So again, dispensationalism recognizes the differences between each of these moves and each of these acts of God, right? Each of these ways that God interacts with man and uh, the way that he expects men to live. So next week, what we're going to be going over is promise and law. Okay, and I want to take those two pretty slow because promise and law are, are fairly large and they can get pretty complicated and mired down. Uh, so we'll take those slow. And then the week after that, we'll do grace, millennial kingdom, and eternity. Eternity should be pretty easy. Again, I'm seven plus one. And then uh, we'll do our question and answer video. But I hope that's at least brought some illumination to you about what dispensationalism is, about how all of these different house laws that we find throughout Scripture, all these different ways that different groups of people are supposed to act, um, help provide some clarification. And like I said, after after Abraham, they're not going to, or after after human government, excuse me, into promise, it's not going to be so rapid fire anymore. There was just a lot of shift as humanity was trying to figure stuff out in order to get to the point where they could uh, effectively do what God was asking them to do, sort of. Okay, sort of. I'm going to put that in italics. Because we still don't really do what he asks us to do in a lot of ways. Uh, but that's what grace is for, right? And so we'll get into all of that in the coming videos. Uh, again, I hope this has been helpful. Um, and again, dispensationalism recognizes the differences in house laws from one group of people from one time period in history to another. And uh, if you, as long as you take that away, then I've done my job. Well, I'll see you next time, and uh, we'll talk soon.